We're in Psalm 26 tonight. Um, there's no reverb in my voice. Is it okay? Okay, good. I won't. I'll just use the, the, the um, pulpit mic. So we're in Psalm 26 tonight. And as I mentioned this morning, sometimes I take a, a Sunday break or two Sunday breaks for pastoral reasons. And then I would just say also for personal reasons. I am a shepherd who's also a sheep. So sometimes... I shouldn't tell you this, but I I construct sermons for myself. (laughs) And um, this morning's sermon was for myself, and maybe you all got some benefit. Tonight is another um, for myself, and and my my sense is since, uh, what what does the Bible say in the book of James, perhaps chapter 5, that we're like Elijah, Elijah's like us, and therefore as he was a praying man, that we should be praying people. Same kind of idea, same constitution. And we're going to look at Psalm 26, and the theme of Psalm 26, which is what we see in Psalm 56, is a vindication um, by God, before God, um, in the face of our enemies, that will be vindicated by God. That we, As I prayed, on the last day, we will not be shown to be losers for picking up our cross and forsaking all and following Jesus Christ. Let me read Psalm 26, and then we'll see if we can make sense of it. It's a thematic sermon tonight. Um, The title is inspired. A Psalm of David, verse 1, God's word. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence. I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim the voice with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with the men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we pray that we would hallow your holy name. Forgive us when we don't. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for all of our sins, the sins that we recognize, which is just a fraction of the ones that we commit, and the sins that we have not recognized. You wash all of them away, Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. We stand before the Father in your righteous robes, Jesus Christ, your good work and none of our own, and we know that we're accepted. And we know that no weapon formed against your people will eternally prosper because you are God come in the flesh and you cannot fail. We pray these things in the Redeemer's name. Amen. So since this is um, a topical sermon that I'm jumping in, we're not in a series in the Psalms or anything like that. I'm jumping in for a particular purpose. The title of this sermon is God Will Vindicate All Those in Christ. God Will Vindicate All Those in Christ. This particular psalm is related to a great number of psalms. I, we, we just read one, Psalm 56, and the whole notion is preservation in the face of one's enemies. 
There are a couple of other psalms which talk about that idea of uh, God's man, in, in this in the case of us tonight, David, uh, praying to God for um, help in the face of enemies. Psalm 68. I'm going to connect this psalm with two other psalms, 68 and 139. Psalm 68, the psalm of David, a song. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God, but let the righteous be clad, let them exalt before God. In that particular psalm, like what we're looking at today, we're going to see that it is the common lot of Christians to have enemies in this life. We we spoke this morning about, um, from the, (coughs) excuse me, the Beatitudes, and that in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, that those various things, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that kind of an idea. Those are the normative characteristics of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're going to see tonight from tonight's psalm of a prayer for vindication in the face of one's enemies, and I, I, I suppose if I were to say this too much, you keep the church manageably small, is that it is normative in the life of a believer to have enemies in opposition and affliction and privation, all of those things. So this is almost the opposite of preaching a best life now sermon. Although I am an optimistic person in Christ, always Christ wins and we win in him. Just as as regards to the experience in this life, it's going to be this. This is normative, that the life of a believer is one filled with enemies. And Martin Luther was keen to say, and the three enemies of the Christian um, are, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we see it in Psalm 56 that we read liturgically. We see it in Psalm 26 that we're looking at tonight uh, to to form the substance of our sermon. Vindicate me, O God, in the face of my enemies. And then with Psalm 68, the reason I read that is in connection with David, the believer, the enemies of God's people, these are the enemies of God's people because we are God's people. So this is not, as Peter says, let's not suffer as an evildoer, as a murderer, as anything like that, as a thief. We are suffering because we belong to God. So they hate us because they hate our God. And that's what we see in Psalm 68. God has enemies. And so those people that belong to God, the enemies of God are the enemies of God's people. The enemies of Christ are the enemies of Christ's people. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. They hated me, and as they hated me and treated me, and they referred to me, that's how they're going to treat you. So this is the normative experience of Christ's people. I don't mean we go courting opposition by the ungodly, but it's there. And you can't escape from it. Jesus says, woe to you if they speak well of you, because that's how they treat the unbeliever. And blessed are you when they persecute you, which is this, because they persecuted Christ. So this, there's spiritual warfare behind this particular psalm. There is a a war, a battle going on in the heavenlies beyond what we can see on the television. And so these people hate David because they hate David's Lord. And so in our psalm, he's praying for vindication. But I did want us to see, to to make that connection. I'm not saying every enemy that we have can certainly be connected to the fact that they are enemies of of God. But in this case, we can. The other uh, psalm I wanted to just bring in a little bit was Psalm 139. In, In that psalm, And even what we read in 56, there is an imprecatory section. Imprecatory means cursing. 
Now, there are some men that feel freer, they're bolder in their constitution than I am not a very bold person. There are some ministers, preachers that are very bold to pronounce um, curses. It's, it, it's an imprecatory statement. And they are mimicking or imitating some of the imprecatory statements in the Bible. The ones in the Bible I can feel comfortable about preaching because God the Holy Spirit inspired them. I myself am um, more careful um, to pronounce them uh, um, myself. But Psalm 139. Verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. The same idea that we're seeing in our particular psalm. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Very similar themes that we see with Psalm 26. In Psalm 26, David wants God to search him, to try him, to judge him, to vindicate him. Know that I am standing before you in my integrity, he says. And he also brings in the fact that he hates those who hate God, which is a perplexing statement, but he does say it. And so I do want us to see very generally from Psalm 26 that the Bible teaches, Psalms clearly, that it is the common lot of God's people that we would in this life experience opposition, rivalry, suffering, and enemies. This is an aspect of the spiritual warfare. And so the moment that we are born again, we are conscripted, as it were, we come freely to Christ and the gospel, but we are in the Lord's army. And then the spiritual warfare begins in earnest. And so the Christian life, we've said many, many times, is, a, is an intensely active life. It's not a passive life. And certainly it is um, sometimes framed with military or martial language. And what we have in the previous Psalm, certainly in Psalm 68, there was a national enemy. And remember, Israel in the Bible is not necessarily Israel today. Israel today is not a theocratic state. Um, in the Israel in the Bible was a, the a theocratic state. They were church and state together. And um, what God is doing in Israel right now, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying he's not doing anything with Israel. Uh, Ephesians 1.11, he, he governs everything. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, for the sake of the gospel, there are enemies, but for the sake of God's calling and election for the patriarchs, they're still beloved. So there is a, a difference of opinion among reformed men, but I, I'm one that still thinks he's doing something with the Jewish people. But there was a national enemy in 68. In 26, there seems to be a personal enemy. So these are a personal enemy, singular or perhaps plural, um, that are David's enemies. And that also is the common lot. So generically, unbelievers are against the believing people of Christ. But then in, in our particular lives, we, we may have and we will have individuals that will oppose us because we love um, Christ. And so in this particular psalm, David has a, a personal enemy. I will say, sometimes when you study the Psalms, and this is my view with the imprecatory statements, because David is the type of Christ, I find those words of, of imprecatory statements fulfilled in the lips of Jesus. So Jesus rightfully can say on the last day, depart from you, that kind of an idea. So certainly with David's words, uh, test me, try me, vindicate me, there are messianic implications because he is, as I say, um, in many instances, a type of Christ. Christ is the antitype of the fulfillment. 
So this is a particular prayer song of an individual believer. And I, I do want us to look at beyond that general point that God's people will have enemies in this life. This is, um, this is what the believer does in times of opposition and difficulty. He, he prays. Now, I put it in the Facebook post that it's almost a sign of spiritual declension when we cease praying. It's always a good idea. I'm not saying in, a, in an overly puritanical fashion, though I think the Puritans get a bad rap for this, is to, um, to examine ourselves as regards to our prayer life. Um, how is, do you pray as a Christian? And this is a legitimate question. Do you pray as a Christian? What's your practice? Do you pray every day? Do you pray multiple times to the day? Do you devote time to prayer? If you're married, do you pray with your spouse? If you have children, do you pray with your children? Do you pray silently? Do you pray out loud? Do you pray corporately? What's your prayer life like? What's the content of your prayers? And so what we're looking at here is God's man runs to God in prayer when he's going through a time of opposition. I will say it's always better um, praying legitimate prayer, uh, acceptable prayer, which is only done through Christ to the Father and reliance upon the Spirit, Trinitarian prayer. This is a prayer of a believer. David is a believer. So his prayer is a legitimate prayer. It's an acceptable prayer because he himself is found in Christ. The place that we should run to first, or the one that we should run to first, is our God in prayer. I'm not against calling our mom or dad. I'm not against calling the doctor. I'm not against calling the lawyer. When we have enemies oppose us, we can use those secondary means and people. But the first person that we should go to when we are in trouble is God. And I will say, the first person that we go to sometimes indicates who and what we are spiritually. You know them by their fruits. You know them by what we do. So when the enemies come, what do we do? Do we mimic David? And when the enemies oppose us, men of bloodthirsty liars and so on, is our first reflex as professing believers to get down on our knees or not? Um, Sometimes when you watch a person or just watch yourself, what is our first response or reaction to something like this? Is our first response... Lord Jesus Christ, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Father, vindicate me. Or is it? What, what is it? So we're known by our fruits. We're known by our responses, what, what we are really. Because what we are inside, what we believe inside, will come out of us in our countenance, in our words, in our actions, and in our prayer life. And we say that we walk by something and not by something. What is that? We walk by what? Faith and not by sight. Faith in God is expressed most often by prayer to God. Prayer to God praying to God is the when we, we read God's word, we hear from God. When we hear God's word preached, we are hearing from God. When we pray, we're speaking with God. We're communing with God. We're living in a vital, conscious friendship with God. God is our Father, we are his sons and daughters, Christ is our holy brother, Savior, and we're living in a conscious communion with him. The first person that David runs to when he's opposed is God in prayer. And that's how we live in vital union with him. 
And the other thing that I mentioned very briefly is this is a believer. Not, we say this all the time, but not every professor of being professing Christian is a true believer. And it is my belief that a great many Christians don't pray. And a great many Christians don't read the Bible. A great many Christians don't go to church. And it's easier to go to church than it is to read the Bible. It's easier to read the Bible than it is to pray. So if you look at a great many Christians and, and they're opposed, they're not going to look like David because they don't have David's faith. They're not vitally and spiritually and salvifically joined to God in Christ. I don't say this with delight. I don't say this to poke fun or, or as, a, as being uh, censorious against the individual. But it's just a fact. There is a great number of professing Christians that don't know Jesus Christ. And so when the enemies come, they don't know to pray because the life of Christ is not in them. But David's not that man. Remember David pens the Holy Spirit, Psalm 16, the right, God is not going to allow his Holy One to suffer decay. His right hand are pleasures forevermore, right? David's the one that pens Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, the words of Christ on the cross, my God, my God. So David's a believer. And so th this is teaching us that all Christians in this life, it's normative to have enemies. Where we go to when we have these enemies, when we're opposed, is God. But he's teaching us the expression of, of faith. And it's helpful when we look at David. We mentioned this at our Reformation service. David is filled with lots of warts. But he's, he, has, he has faith. God's in the saving sinner's business. And, and no one is um, completely sanctified until we are glorified in heaven. And so this believing man filled with faults goes to God in prayer. And he, um, he trusts in he uses the word, the loving kindness of the Lord. In Hebrew, it's hesed. This is the mercy of God in Christ. This is a man who has forward-looking faith in Christ. And that's going to help us when we get to David's boldness. When David says, judge me, O God. Vindicate me, O God. I walk in the integrity of my, my heart. You think, how did David write this? He's not ultimately trusting in himself. When he says, I'm, I'm trusting in you, Lord. I'm trusting in the hesed, the loving kindness. This is a believer. This is a believer's boldness in the face of his enemies. And so he unburdens himself to his loving Heavenly Father in the name of Christ, essentially. I, there, there's a place in the book of James which says, in James chapter 4, maybe 1 through 10, you don't have because you don't do what? You ask. Then, he says, God the Holy Spirit through James, but when you do ask, sometimes you don't have because you ask wrongly. So two, one, you're not praying, you're not asking, and so we're taught to pray. The other thing here is we're taught to pray for things rightly and for right things. And this is First uh, John chapter 5. When we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. So there are things, oh God, help me, grant me success robbing the Swanee Swifty. No, <laughs> that's not God's will for you to rob the Swanee Swifty. So we can pray for wrong things, and then we can pray for wrong motives. To, to spend them on our, on, our, on our selfish pleasures. But praying for God to vindicate us in Christ, God will hear and God will answer. So there are things, you know, we, we sometimes say in the church, well, God is against this name it and claim it theology, which of course he is. Health and wealth, name it and claim it. But there are other things that we can name and claim. Things that God tells us to name and claim. C can we have joy in the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Yeah. 
Are we fully forgiven in Christ? Yes. Will we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we die? Yes. Because God tells us. We can pray those things, and we can have the boldness. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the imperative case in the Hebrew. It's a command. You must vindicate me. You must plead my case. You must find me in the right. You must. That's a bold prayer. Because he's not trusting in himself. He's trusting in God's promises to him. Oh, Jesus Christ, you promised where I am, there I will, where you are, there I, I will be also. That's this. So this is an expression of faith in the face of opposition, which I would argue our faith really grows exponentially when we're in a crucible. Um, I, want, I want to be on a perpetual mountaintop just to tell you, <laughs> just, to, just to reveal my cards. I would love to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise constantly, but we'd be <laughs> utterly useless if that were the case. But it's when we're being um, opposed, when we're in the crucible, that our, 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 our sins are being purged from us, our worldliness is being purged, and our graces are being refined. Our faith is growing. And that's what we find in this person. And um, he prays, vindicate me. If you have a King James Bible, it will say, judge me, O Lord. This is not the usual word. I think the usual word for judge in Hebrew is shapat, something like that. This is, a, this is another word. And usually when we think of judgment, we think along the lines of condemnation, judging to find a person in the wrong. And um, for us as Christians, Romans 1, there's no more condemnation. That's often the way we think of judging. Oh, it'll come to me what judging is in um, Greek, but it'll come at 2 o'clock in the morning. But th- this is a different word. Clearly, David wants to be judged by God, but along the lines of, this is why our NAS um, translate it, vindicate. To be proven correct or right, that, that this believer is not in the wrong so what the enemies of, of David and of God are accusing David of, David is confident that he's not guilty of those things that he's being accused of. And so he wants God to rule in his favor. That's the idea. Show, show me, O God, in the face of my enemies that I am innocent. Now, I want you to think of that, because when you think, vindicate me, O Lord, I have walked in my integrity. If this were another church, I would say, show of hands, how many people have read the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22? I hope it's everybody in the room. If you've read about David and you read that, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And you've read the Bible. Now it says it, does it not? And this is the Holy Spirit, so he can't err. And the Bible can't contradict the Bible. But when you come there, you think, Boy, howdy, I remember there was a guy and he was one of your mighty men and you kind of did him wrong and stole his wife and had a baby with her and all of these kind of things. <laughs> David, you want, you want to rethink that. The Bible does not contradict the Bible. I know, there's a website, I've said it before, there's a guy, there's probably more than one guy. They make their living trying to find all the so-called contradictions in the Bible. The Bible does not contradict the Bible. There are things in the Bible that appear to contradict the Bible. But the reason we know that the Bible doesn't contradict the Bible is because we're born again. When you're born again, now you receive the love of God in Christ and you love God in Christ. The person that's not born again, they hate God. And so when the Bible says it's perfect, 
Because they hate God, they want to find the imperfections of God. Because we love God, we submit our wills to God. And we can say, well, it appears to contradict, but it doesn't, because my God is perfect and he can't contradict himself, and perhaps later he'll show me. The answer to this is fairly easy to explain, I think. David is not saying, vindicate me, O God, find me to be innocent because I'm sinless. He means in this particular instance that he's innocent. And whatever enemies are accusing of him, in that instance, that he is confident before God that he's not guilty of what they're, they're accusing him of in that instance. And that makes sense. So David understands that he's a sinner. He, he's the guy who writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Forgive me, O God, for my sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He wrote that. And so the reconciliation is easy. It's easy to those who have faith. Does that make sense? So when you find a person who says, oh, this is, oh, this is wrong, and the Bible's wrong here, and the Bible's wrong there. There are hard things in the Bible. But when our hearts are subdued to God in Christ, we love the author of the Bible. And so, we, like if our, our folks, there are things that our mom and dad, when we were kids, we couldn't understand. But we would vindicate them because we love them and we're loved by them. So the person that says uh, mean things against the Bible, uh, I uh, think it says something about their um, spiritual state. So that's the, that's the reconciliation of that. And he says, I have walked in my integrity. And that's a word we don't use often. Um, he, and it, it means to walk faithfully or uprightly. I've been uprightly before you, O Lord. And this is in this particular instance. And I, I just will say this as an aside. Um, I'm not against saying uh, a person for, to, to say that I, I'm, I'm laboring to walk in, in, in integrity, to, in uprightness. I will say this, um, sometimes when someone says, I'm a man of integrity, like what David is saying, but he's correct because he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If this were not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it would sound a little like what to you? A little proud, I think, right? It's not that I'm utterly distrustful when someone tells me that they're men of integrity, but I'm a little distrustful. <laughs> when they say that. I always want to talk to their wife and kids after they tell me that. Uh, or maybe put a bug in their house. I don't know. This can't be wrong because he says it. And so what he's going to do for the remainder of the psalm is he actually brings before God arguments of why he's walked in his integrity, why he's been faithful before God. And so he builds a case very much like a lawyer. He says, I followed after you will be part of his evidence. And then he says, I hate those who hate you. That's the second part of his evidence. And then the third evidence is, I love those who love you. I worship with those who worship you. So he says, I, oh God, I'm innocent in this thing. And he goes to, to God and he says, please find in my favor. And I will say this. When you're being opposed, you have an enemy. Let's say you're in, in, you're in, in the right, as it were. <clears throat> it's we we have a we have a highly sense highly um, developed sense of um, uh, of seeking to be vindicated. Even little kids, if you spank a little kid wrongly, let's say you're wrong and you're you're the parent, you you spank them wrongly. That little kid will will desire to be vindicated. You spank me wrong wrongly, and I want to be vindicated. And so it's not something that's um, we're not accustomed to. But I will say this. 
we, all of us want to be vindicated if we're in the right and we think we're in the wrong. I'm not saying that we can't ever labor to be vindicated before men. I will say this. When we labor to be vindicated before men on a, on a supposed wrong, be very careful. It's much, in my opinion, it's, it's better and safer to take it to the Lord. Maybe you can take it to other men. Maybe. But be very careful. When we seek to be vindicated before other men, by other men, when we're being wronged by another person that we think, you will open yourself up to break the ninth commandment. Um, let's say you think someone has done you wrong. They're sinning against you. And that you want to go and vindicate yourself before other people. We are to take care of the, the, the good name of our neighbor, even the person that is opposing us. And when you labor to vindicate yourself, I'm right and they're wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm right. You will lay a snare for yourself to trash the good name of even the person you think that's opposing you. It's almost impossible to vindicate yourself before men without trashing the good name of even your opponent. Even if you think your opponent doesn't have a good name, it's still sin to trash his name before another person. So it's very dicey. And the other thing I will say this is when David seeks to be vindicated before God, if you've ever been vindicated before men that you were found in the right, how lasting is that feeling of vindication? Not very long. It's a better recourse to go to the Lord because men don't know all of the, uh, the, 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 the situation. You, we don't know all of the situation. We go to the one that does know all of it, and that's the judge. And I will say this as well. When we have enemies that oppose us and we think we're in the right, not in David's case because he's under the inspiration of the Spirit, but for us, <coughs> uninspired folks, let's say someone sins against you and we say, well, I'm innocent. Could there be a chance, an outside chance, that we might be culpable at least a little bit for their opposition against us? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm utterly innocent. Well... Are you utterly innocent? Could there be any conceivable reason why they're your enemies in this? No, no, I'm, are you sure? Ask your wife. She'll probably tell you the truth. See what I mean? So the better recourse is to take it to the Lord. He knows. To let the Lord vindicate you rather than men vindicate you. And to lay the case before the Lord, which is what he does. He says, search me. Search my heart. Am I, do I have a part in this? He doesn't think he does. Do we? Search my heart. This is a prayer of a believer. Unbelievers don't go to God and say, Oh God, search my heart. Oh God, you know. Unbelievers don't pray. Uh, not acceptable prayers like this. So those are the things. He takes arguments before the Lord, as I say. He says, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord. Try me. Your loving kindness is before my eyes. This is essentially saying he's trusting in the coming the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, I have walked in thy truth. This is um, our good works, our, our confession in chapter 16. I mentioned it this morning. has a section on good works. This is one of the benefits of good works. This is a James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. It talks about being justified by works, not by faith alone. 
the way that we reconcile Paul and James is this. Before God, we are justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone, before God. Now, our faith is justified before man by our good works. So before God, our persons are justified by faith alone. Before man, and that includes self, our faith is justified by works. Does that make sense? That's the reconciliation of Paul and James. Now, in relationship to the, our faith being justified, being proven true, vindicated, that's exactly what David does. David says, I've obeyed you. I've walked according to your commandments. I have, I have hated those who hate you. I've not sat in their counsel. He's using his good works as evidence or his faithfulness as evidence of his faith. And, and that's what he's doing here. So he's proving to God, as it were, but really to himself. This works to his assurance. And so it, it seems to say, when he says, vindicate me and I've walked according to thy truth, that the enemies that he is experiencing is not because he's sinning, but because he's being obedient. And the second proof that he brings to God is verses 4 and 5. And this can be a little bit perplexing. He says, not only positively have I walked in your truth as the first proof for his integrity, second thing he says is, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of the evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. It's not possible to do what he just said, walking with God and then walk with, with those who hate God. It's not possible to do the, 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 the same, those things at the same time. So David says, I am walking with you, and, and conversely, I'm not walking with those who hate you. I will say this. Many a young man or young woman has found out the truthfulness of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Bad company corrupts what? Us parents tell our kids, all, tell this all the time. When they're little, they believe us. When they hit 15 plus, they think, mm, I don't know. When they're little, we can spank them or whatever, give them something, and then they, that's the extent of it. When they're big enough to look like they have adult bodies, they're big enough to do adult-sized things, and they are big enough to find out the truth of bad company corrupts good morals. And when you are living with bad company and committing bad moral things, you will not be able to pray like this. You won't. So one of the ways that we help our freeness in our prayer to God is to have a clean conscience. Do you know what it is to have an unclean conscience? A guilty conscience? Even as a Christian, to have a guilty conscience. When you have a guilty conscience, an unclean conscience, a conscience that's aware, it's, a, it's that internal arbiter that God has created in us, even, even the fallen habit. It's been defaced, true enough. But you don't want to pray. You don't want to go to God. And so David says, I am walking in your truth, and I don't walk with the wicked. I'm not doing these things. I don't sit with them. I don't listen to their counsel. None of it. Is this, is it would this be a text for us to go move on a commune or not to interact with the unbelievers? No, that's not this text. That's not biblical anyways. If you have a business selling widgets, you're going to have to sell widgets to believers and unbelievers. If you sell groceries, you sell groceries to believers and unbelievers. That's not this. This is a, this is a 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. We're separate from them in affections. We're separate from them in religion. We're separate from them in their inter, intimate relationships. We don't marry with them. 
We don't give our children to marry with them because they cause us to defect from the Lord. And so this, David is saying, they're not my intimate friends. You are my intimate friend. And then the other thing that he brings in is not only does he, he walk with God and not walk with those who hate God. And If you are a Christian young person and you meet another young person who hates Christ, who hates his church, who hates his word, and you, 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 you know what? Hey, they like fishing, I like fishing. They like this music, I like this music. Um, and they become your intimate friends? It will go poorly for you. It will go poorly for you. I'm 59. And when we were in the Tallahassee church, almost the entire church homeschooled, just like we homeschooled. We raised our kids a certain way. We were very exceedingly, um, exceedingly conservative. And I cannot tell you how many of those young people that were raised the way that we raised our kids, they get around unbelieving. They, they walk with the wicked. They're friends with those who don't love the Lord. And now girls are marrying girls and boys are marrying boys and other guys are doing time for things that you can't even believe. And these are OPC, homeschool, reform, super duper kids because they didn't believe this. And so David comes to the Lord. He says, I've not walked with them. And then he does say in a positive way, but I come into your house and I worship with your people. I, I obey you, I follow after you, I don't walk with the unbeliever, and I do walk with the people of God. I, hear that, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this, and I don't need to pick on anybody here. I don't think anybody here has told me this, but I've been here 22 years January. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say this. My son, my daughter, my cousin, my mom, my dad, they love Jesus, they read the Bible all the time, they pray all the time, but they don't go to church. They don't belong to church. They don't go to church. They don't want to go to church. Unless they're providentially prohibited, unless they physically are unable, I don't understand that. I mean, I do understand it. Right? He says, I come into your house. I'm with your people. I worship you, O God, with your people. This is how this man has such boldness in his prayer. This is why he's convinced that God will find him to be in the right. We hurt our faith when we, we become intimate with the unbeliever. We bolster our faith. This is one of the benefits of being in God's house, belonging to God's house, being a part of a visible manifestation of Christ's church, that we are building each other up in the holy faith. That's where David gets a part, part of his confidence. People think, well, what, what benefit do I get from going to church? If you say that, I almost want to test, like, what's the matter with you? Are you not reading the Bible? Do you not see it? Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers praying for one another. We worship the same Lord. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One family, one, one home. That's this. And David at the very end essentially says, I'm going to trust in you no matter what. I know, I know that you will vindicate me. Um, Charles Spurgeon says on this psalm concerning David and the fight against the enemies, he says the Christian has to reconcile himself and to live as a nonconformist. The Christian has to live as a nonconformist in this world. The, the worldling that hates David because he loves the Lord 
They're living in their stream. They're swimming the same way that they're supposed to go. It's David that's the nonconformist. It's David that's swimming against the stream. That's us. And we have to be content to be that nonconformist. We are the folks out of step. We will be the ones being opposed. And we have to wait to be vindicated by God in Christ. But we will be vindicated by God in Christ. I'm going to say this and then I'll quit. Our Shorter Catechism has um, three questions, 37, 38, and 39. What benefits do we receive in Christ Jesus in this life? Question 37. And then at death? Question 38. And then at the resurrection? Question 39. And the, the answer in question 39 is at the resurrection, we all, as believers, will be openly acknowledged and openly acquitted and made perfectly blessed to full enjoying of God for all eternity. So right now, when you look, when the world looks at us and they think, really? <laughs> really? Y'all look like a bunch of hodgepodge ragamuffins. And you're so narrow and mean-spirited and bigoted and all those things. You're a bunch of dullards. We wait. We wait. And on the last day, you are going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and the rest of the world will hear it. You will be openly acknowledged and acquitted, vindicated on the day of judgment. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.